A unique privilege today. Uh, everything starts with a first. Can we say that? Like every experience that you kind of head into in life, there's a first day of marriage, there's a first day of being a parent, there's a first for everything. Is everybody with me? There's a first for preaching. 25 years ago, around this time, I was working in a church in Dallas, Texas, uh, a youth pastor, and my senior pastor came to me and said, you're up. And I was like, what do you mean? And he said, you're going to preach on such and such a day, and I'm going to help you figure it out. And I was like, no, I'm not. And he's like, yes, you are. And uh, okay, I guess you're my boss. Uh, I gave my first sermon about 25 years ago on the stage, not unlike this, uh, under the behest of my boss. And I'm grateful I did. I've been doing it for a long time since. Uh, we have a privilege this morning uh, to be a part of a first for a young man's life at the behest of his boss. He is on this stage today. Uh, and uh, so we're just so grateful for him. His name's uh, Josh. He and his wife, Nicole, came here uh, uh, a year and a half ago and have been serving in our middle school ministry uh, so faithfully. Uh, just love them both. So grateful for him. Give your warmest Bay Life welcome to our middle school passer, Josh Medlin. There he is. Good morning, Bay Life. How are you guys doing today? Well, it is a great honor for me to be able to speak with you this morning. I want to tell you a little bit about myself so that you know who's talking with you. I have had the privilege of working with our awesome middle schoolers here at the church for the past 18 months, and I absolutely love the energy and the, just the joy that they bring every week, and so I have such a great time with them on a weekly basis. I'm passionate about middle schoolers specifically because I didn't actually grow up in the church, but when I was in the seventh grade, there was a friend of mine who was living in the house behind mine who started begging me to go to church with him. For weeks, I told him, no, I'm not going to church with you. Leave me alone. But eventually, he wore me down. I got peer pressured by a few others as well, and I went to church with him. Week after week, I had such a good time. I kept going, and eventually, I heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it changed my life. Yeah, it was amazing. I told him, yeah. <laughs> because of that, I'm so passionate about helping our middle schoolers to build their foundation in Christ. I love it when middle schoolers invite their friends and, and they have an awesome place to have fun and learn about Jesus. And so that is what I do week in and week out at middle school. But at home, I live with our, my wife, Nicole, and our dog, Benny. And so I, we have a picture up on the screen for you. My wife actually works at Baylife as well. She's a graphic designer on our communications team here at the church. So she makes a bunch of the really cool artwork you see and t-shirts and all sorts of things. And I always tell, say that she makes everything I do look good. So I'm really happy about that. We have been married now for almost nine years. What a privilege. Well, today we're going to be in the book of Philippians. We're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 1, verse 18. We're going to be in the second half of that verse to start out. So if you have a Bible this morning, I'd invite you to open up to Philippians 1.18. And we're going to look at the bright side of life, this perspective that Paul had that allowed him to see joy in any situation in his life. But before we do, I would love to start off with a word of prayer. Let's pray together. Father God, we are absolutely blessed to be here this morning to hear your word. God, I pray that you would, you would speak through me this morning, that you would soften our hearts, that your word would empower us to live a life that is honoring to you, 
Help us to have joy in the midst of the hard times that we're going through and help us to see the bright side of life like Paul does in our passage today. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Well, even though I work as a middle school pastor, we have a system at the church called the Pastor on Call, where there's always a pastor who is available to help when a need arises. Recently, there was a couple at the church who had been going through this really difficult health challenge, and so I reached out to this couple, and I set up an appointment to talk with them and meet with them. I was a little nervous about this because typically I'm working with students between the ages of 11 and 14 years old. That's who I'm normally discipling and encouraging. But this couple was just a little bit out of that age range. And so I have a picture of Jack and Mary. We're going to put it up on the screen for you. Jack is 91 years old and Mary is 89 years old. They are an awesome Christian couple that belongs to our church and I'm so thankful for them. But while they're an amazing Christian couple, I could tell as soon as I met them that they had been going through a really difficult season of life when it came to their health. Even as I met with Jack, he struggled to stand up from his chair in order to greet me in a respectful manner. Mary had a breathing tube under her nose that was pumping oxygen into her so that she was able to breathe effectively. Jack told me how just a few days before, he had had this major event in his life. He was sitting down for dinner with his family, eating, having a nice time, and all of a sudden, he is having a stroke. The entire left side of his body shuts down. They call the police, an ambulance rushes to the house. It's this traumatic event where they have to rush him to the emergency room. His wife, Mary, told me how just A few months before, she had also been in the hospital. For a 10-day stay in the hospital, she had pneumonia, pneumonia not not just in one lung. She had pneumonia in both of her lungs at the exact same time. You see, as I listened to their story that day, I remember just being absolutely overwhelmed by the difficulties and the challenges they had been through. I was mentally preparing in my mind, thinking, What could I say to this couple to help them through this difficult season of life? I expected them to be discouraged, to be sort of down and out, maybe even thinking like, why did God allow this awful stuff to happen in my life? Their actual response absolutely caught me completely by surprise. You see, that was not their response at all. Jack told me how he was delivered from this stroke, how when he got to, the do- got to the doctor's office, there was this doctor there that was so wise and he knew exactly what was wrong with him very quickly. He diagnosed it for him and as soon as he had figured out what was wrong, the doctor gave him this decision on what he was supposed to do with his treatment. He had to make a choice. In that moment, Jack told me about how there was so much peace that just overflowed into him. He had this confidence. He knew exactly what decision he was supposed to make. It was as if God's presence just overflowed in him. Even as he told me about God's presence and peace working in his life in that moment, his eyes began to tear up with tears of joy. Mary began to tell me how she had been in the hospital during a specific 10-day period She was allowed to be in the hospital during that time, is what she said. 
She said that while she was in the hospital, there was a woman in the hospital bed about five feet to her right, and this woman passed away while she was there. The family came in. They were absolutely devastated by the loss, specifically one young son that was just grieving some of the most difficult times in his life. And with a voice that was hardly working, Mary called out to this young man, and she was able to pray for him and share the love of Jesus with him in some of the darkest moments of his life. I remember leaving that day just being absolutely overwhelmed. She told me later how the worst part of her pneumonia was that she was no longer able to sing praise songs like she used to so beautifully. And when I left that day, it was absolutely overwhelming. I was like, how is it possible that this couple who's going through all these traumatic experiences and all the anxiety and the fear that goes with those things, how are they able to have such joy in the midst of all of that? Recently, I asked our middle school students a question. When it comes to facing challenges in life, do you respond with peace and faith or with fear and anxiety? I want you to think about that question in your own life for a moment. About seven out of ten of our students said they struggle to have peace and faith in the midst of the challenges of life. Some of them were really honest and they said every challenge that comes my way, it's this barrage of anxiety and fear. And I really believe that's not just middle schoolers who are feeling that way. I really believe that's an accurate reflection of our world today. Even in the church, most of us struggle to face the challenges in our life with peace and faith, with a positive outlook in life. In light of that, I want to look to the book of Philippians today, where Paul has discovered the secret to seeing the bright side of life no matter how difficult the situation is. You see, as Paul is writing this book of Philippians, just like Jack and Mary, Paul has every reason to be down and out, to be discouraged, to be questioning God. He's a guy who's faced so much suffering in his life. If you actually look at what has happened in Paul's life, in the years before he's writing this book, it's absolutely ridiculous. In Acts 21, Paul talks about In the book of Acts, it talks about how Paul was in Jerusalem, he was sharing the gospel, and this angry mob of Jews just start capturing him under these false pretenses. They start beating him relentlessly. Soon after the Romans show up, they take custody of Paul and they throw him in prison. Their their plan was to start flogging him, but instead, they decide they're going to just keep him in prison because they find out that he is a Roman citizen and, he, and they can't just flog him without a trial. Soon after that, there were these 40 angry Jewish men and they were so angry that they decided they were going to kill Paul. They were making this ambush plan where they were going to pa- have a pact together and they were going to make sure Paul does not get through this. Thankfully, the Romans, they hear about this and they decide, they get this battalion of over 200 soldiers and they transfer Paul from Jerusalem all the way to Caesarea in the dead of night. When Paul gets to Caesarea, he's placed in prison. Without a, like he doesn't even get found guilty while he's in Caesarea, but despite that, they throw him in prison again for two years this time 
He's left to rot there in prison. Eventually, he has a trial, and then he's taken again, transferred again, this time to Rome, after he appeals to testify before the Caesar. See, he was appealing to testify before the Caesar because he didn't want to be released to the Jews who would then kill him. So they get him on a boat, and he starts traveling to Rome. And in Rome, on his way there, he is shipwrecked. He gets shipwrecked outside of this island called Malta. He lands on this island, and even as he's on this island, there's this viper that bites him. He gets bitten by a snake. And you're thinking, how could things get any worse for Paul? I mean, literally, not only has he been through everything, he gets, gets beaten up, he's, they're throwing him in prison, over all this stuff, and then he gets bitten by a viper, but thankfully, everybody thought he was going to die. Thankfully, though, God brings him through time after time after time. Eventually, he makes it to Rome. And in our passage today, Paul is writing to the book, the, the book of Philippians. He's in chains. He's in house arrest, guarded by these Roman guards, and he's looking forward to the moment where he's going to stand before the Roman Caesar to face judgment because of his faith in Jesus. So why am I telling you all this history lesson? What's the point of this? Well, I want you to realize that Paul has not had an easy go of things. Paul is a man who understands suffering. He knows what it's like to go through difficult times in life. And so what you would expect for Paul's reaction to be in this situation is that he's disappointed, he's negative, he's upset with how things have gone in his life. But what we're going to find today is that that is not his reaction at all. So with all that backdrop, I want to look at the second half of Philippians 1.18 where Paul is going to catch us all by surprise. He's going to say this, Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. After everything Paul has been through, he is making this conscious choice, I am going to choose joy. Now catch this, Paul isn't choosing joy here because everything's going well in his life. Paul is continually choosing joy. He's not happy about his circumstances. Just like Paul and Mary, he's been through a very difficult season. But he's refusing to let his circumstances in life steal his joy. That's a pretty incredible mindset that Paul has. But Paul actually has reasons for the joy that he has. He's going to tell us about those reasons in verse 19. He says this. He says, I'll continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers... And God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me, will turn out for my deliverance. So Paul says, I know things look bad right now, but I am expecting, I'm hoping that one day all of this is going to turn out with a victory of God in my life. I'm expecting that one day God is going to deliver me through all of this, and I'm choosing to believe that He is going to win in the end. See, he knows that all the Philippians, his brothers and sisters in Christ in Philippi, are praying for him. Paul knows that because of those prayers that God is going to respond to him. He knows that God works in our prayers, and because of that, he's expecting that the Spirit of Jesus Christ will provide exactly what he needs to get through this trial. So even as Paul is in chains here, he knows that there's a purpose for the pain that he has gone through. 
He's not focused in on the suffering or the challenges that he's been through. He's trusting that one way or another, God is going to bring me through this. And when it's all said and done, everyone will see how awesome Paul's God is. Verse 20, he goes on to say this, I eagerly expect and hope. Here's what he's expecting is going to come out. He says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. So Paul here is imagining himself standing before the most powerful man in the world, the Roman Caesar. And he knows this is going to happen. Back in Caesarea, he appealed to testify before the Caesar. So he knows the path he's on. But more than that, when he was talking to, when he was in Jerusalem and he had this trial, right after that, God spoke to him. And he said, just as you testified in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. So he knows that God is speaking to him in this way. He knows that this is going to happen. And his eager expectation, what he's expecting from all of this, is that he's not going to do anything that would bring shame to Christ. He's not going to reject his faith and say, oh, I'm no longer a Christian, just let me go. No, that's not what he's expecting. He's expecting that what's going to happen is that the Holy Spirit is going to empower him is going to give him the courage he needs to speak boldly and to proclaim the gospel so that everyone in the whole household of Caesar knows that Jesus is Lord. And in the end, there's only going to be two options. Either the Caesar's going to say, put him to death, or he's going to say, let him live. But Paul says, no matter what the outcome is in life, no matter what happens here, Whether I live or whether I die, either way, this is a win-win situation in my life. Why? Because if I die, God is going to get the glory for all of this. If I live through this, God is going to get the glory in the end. And so Paul says, no matter what happens, this is a win-win situation. So here is the mindset that Paul is trying to teach to the people in Philippi, and he wants to teach to us as well today. If you get nothing else from this message... I want you to hear this bright side perspective that Paul has for us today. Don't miss this. We can have joy in any situation because every situation is a win-win as believers in Jesus. Even as Paul is under house arrest in Rome, Paul is able to rejoice, not in his circumstances, but because he's able to look to the future and recognize that there's going to be a victory of God in his life, that one day God is going to get the glory for all of this. And he's so excited for what God is going to do in his life, not because of what, how things have been going in the moment, but he set his eyes on the future victory in Christ. So Paul knows no matter what happens here, this is a win-win situation if he, win, if he lives through this, God's going to get the glory. If he dies, God's going to get the glory. He, sees, he says, this is a win. So in the next part of our passage, Paul is going to start to imagine what those victories in his life might look like. See, a lot of us, when we get discouraged, when we have some things going on in our life that get really tough, our main focus is right on our circumstances. Paul's not doing that. He's not setting his eyes on his circumstances. He's setting his eyes on the future victory of God. He's trusting that one day God is going to do this awesome thing 
And when it's all said and done, God is going to be glorious in his life. So in verse 21, Paul says these famous words, some of the most famous words in the entire book of Philippians. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Paul is lining out two possible wins that will happen in his life, that can happen in his life. And if you're paying attention today, if you're keeping track, the first win is death. Paul says, and we're going to start out with the second half of verse 21, Paul says, for me to die is gain. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think of death, I don't typically think of gain as a, as a win in my life. In fact, the most common response to when someone passes away is we say, I'm sorry for your loss. We see death as loss, as suffering, grieving, and to be honest with you, it is all of those things. But the truth is, Paul says, when you look at your life, when you think about your death as a believer in Jesus, for you personally, death is a gain in your life. Verse 23, Paul's going to tell us why he sees death this way. Paul says, I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. So Paul says, if I had the choice here, I would actually rather die. That's kind of a weird thing to say. If somebody said that, like, hey, I really want to die, that's a, you'd probably sit them down, like, hey, we need to have a conversation. You see, Paul isn't suicidal here. The truth is he has joy in the midst of his circumstances. He's not trying to run away from anything here. What's happening here in this situation is that he's considering the joy that is available to him as a believer in Jesus in his current circumstances, which I really believe is a whole lot of joy for Paul. But then he's comparing that joy to the joy that is available to him in Christ when he gets to heaven. And he says, I think, when I think about that joy that's available for me in heaven, it is just so much better than any joy I could ever have on this earth. You see, Paul has had his entire view of death reshaped by the one who died and rose again. For Paul, he knows exactly what happens for the person who puts their faith in Jesus. In fact, he wrote about it in clear detail in Romans chapter 10, verse 9. He said, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Not you might be saved. You will be saved. You will get to spend eternity in heaven with your Savior in this, in this place of perfect joy and bliss for all of eternity. Paul says, here's how it works. First, you have to declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. You really have to believe that Jesus is 
the master of your life. You have to, say, you have to make this commitment and, and say, God, I'm choosing to believe in you, make you the master, the king, the main character of my story. I'm just a side character in this story. Jesus, you're the main character. Everything I do from this point forward is to glorify you. That's what it means to make Jesus the Lord of your life. Then Paul goes on to say, you have to believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You really have to believe that Jesus really died on that cross for you. The Bible talks about how the wages of our sin is death. In other words, our payment, what we deserve for our sins, our disobedience to God is death. But Jesus took that death for us on the cross. And then three days later, God raised him from the dead, proving that he was indeed the Son of God who had authority over death and has the power to give eternal life to all who believe in Him as their Lord and Savior. And so Paul says, I know that I have made this decision to follow Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and because of that, I do not have to fear death. In fact, death is a win in my life. And I love what Paul talks about when he talks about heaven. I love how he talks about this. He says, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. Whenever I'm talking with middle schoolers, my favorite way to describe heaven for them is to use that word better. I always say something like, I want you to imagine the best possible landscape you've ever seen, the most beautiful thing you've ever seen in your life. I want you to imagine the most amazing music that you've ever heard, the most delicious food that you've ever eaten in your entire life. Imagine the most comfortable you've ever been. Pack all of those amazing moments into this one perfect moment. Heaven is better than that. Not just a little bit better, it's like a million times better. Paul says, it is better by far. And so Paul goes on to say, I would love to depart and be with Christ. That Greek word for depart is this word analuo. It's this word that means to unloose. It's this word picture of a boat that's casting off its bindings from the pier. And it's getting ready to set sail to a distant land over the oceans. Paul says, I would love to cast off my bindings and travel to my new home to be with Jesus for all of eternity. You see, for Paul, if this ends in death, God will use this trial in his life. He'll become a martyr and he will be able to share, the, the word of Christ will get shared with all of the world as a result. And everyone will know about the man who is willing to die for his belief in Jesus. He stood before the most powerful man in the world and yet he was willing to proclaim the gospel of Jesus. That's how much he believed in Jesus. And one day, Paul will get to hear those words, well done, my good and faithful servant. So when Paul thinks about this win in his life, he just says, this is the greatest possible win that I can ever imagine. Then Paul goes on to win number two. Win number two is life. Paul says, for me to live is Christ." What does that mean? Well, Paul's whole life was centered around this one thing. It was all about glorifying Jesus. 
See, whether you realize it or not, your whole life's purpose, the whole reason you're on this planet is to glorify God with your life. As Christians, the biggest thief of our joy is when we take our eyes off of that goal and we start to pursue other things. I played a ton of baseball growing up, and if you've ever been to a kid's little league game, you will know that there's always a coach on the third baseline, and he's yelling this one thing to the batter on, at the plate. Does anyone know the number one rule of baseball? Keep your eye on the ball. Nailed it. You guys are awesome. Keep your eye on the ball. So when the pitcher is on the mound and he's getting ready to throw the ball to the plate and the batter is over here and he's waiting there and the most important thing he can do is to keep his eye on the ball. The moment he's swinging and his head goes from the ball over to the baseline, I've seen it a million times, is the moment, strike three, you're out. Why? Because he broke the number one rule of baseball. Keep your eye on the ball. You see, as believers in Jesus, Paul's whole focus in life was on this one thing, glorifying Jesus. Paul said, for me to live is Christ. If you don't keep your eye on that goal, you'll miss out on so much of the joy that is available to you in Christ. So I have a question for you today. I want to ask you, what is your focus in life right now? Not just for your entire life, but think about just for this upcoming week, what's your focus in life? If I'm being honest with you guys, there are some things, some weeks where my whole focus is just on my work. I'm just looking at my to-do list and I'm constantly focused on this thing and this thing and this thing. Sometimes I, my focus in life is on that book or that TV show that I've been watching every evening and it's, I can't stop thinking about it. Sometimes it's on this relationship that I'm trying to fix. It's been a little rocky lately. Be honest with yourself and fill in this blank for the upcoming week. For me to live is blank. Maybe for you, the answer is family. There have been some things going on in your family, and you're just trying to take care of them, and you're so focused on just getting through the week and making sure that they are all good. Maybe you'd answer saying, for me to live is success. I really just need to do all of these things at work, and I really want to do a good job, and it's so important to me that I, that I really succeed in all that I'm trying to do. Maybe it's approval. Man, I just have these, this person that I really want to show them that I care, and so I really need to do this. And, and there's these people that I, I need to make sure that they know that I'm a dependable person. And so it's so important that I have a good reputation with those people. See, none of those are bad things. None of those are terrible things. But if they take the number one spot in your life, they will end up stealing your joy. Why? Because you're taking your eye off the ball. Paul said, for me to live is Christ. His chief aim in life was all about glorifying Jesus. In every situation, he asked the question, how can I bring glory to Jesus with where God has placed me right here? 
Maybe for you that means choosing to work hard and stay positive at work even though you've been being treated badly by your boss or your coworkers because ultimately you work for Christ. Maybe it means that you have to look different and maybe be the odd person out when it comes to hanging out with your family or your friends because you're choosing to live a life that honors Christ first, not them. Maybe it means praying for the family that is grieving their loved one in the next hospital bed over because you have the love of Jesus inside of you and you have the ability to offer hope into that dark situation just like Mary. Paul was always looking for ways to bring glory to Jesus in whatever situation God placed him in. So when he thinks about this win of living through this trial, Paul says in verse 22, if I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. But it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ will abound on account of me. So Paul says, I I really believe, I'm convinced in fact, that I am going to make it through this trial. Not because it's going to be easier for me that way, but because as I think about how can I bring the most possible glory to Jesus, if I had this opportunity to continue to share the gospel and invest in the lives of those Philippians, if those Philippians who were praying for me saw that God worked so powerfully in my life and so lovingly that he was able to help me through this situation, he said, man, if that happens, God will receive so much glory. You see, if Paul lives or if Paul lives, it doesn't really matter. What's important to him is that he can have joy in any situation Because every situation is a win-win as a believer in Jesus. If Paul lives through this, God will be glorified. And for that reason, it's a win in Paul's life. If Paul dies in this, he knows that God will be glorified. And it is a win in his life. Back in 2012, I remember going to the movies with my friends I went to see this super cool movie called The Dark Knight Rises. It was this, uh, the third and final episode of the Christopher Nolan Batman series, and it was a super cool movie. Really early on in the movie, Batman, he walks up and he starts getting beat up by this villain Bane. I mean, it is, it's brutal. Pretty soon after that, you're you're sitting in this movie theater, and about halfway through, you realize that Batman has been placed in an underground hole of a prison that no one has ever escaped from. He's mentally defeated. He's got a broken back, and his city is being overrun by villains. And just in case anybody gets this bright idea to try and fight back against Bane, there's a bomb that is ready to explode at any moment. I remember sitting in this theater and I was just like, oh my goodness, how are things going to get any worse for Batman? I was getting all worked up about it. I mean, I was anxious and afraid for my, my friend Batman. And as I was sitting in this theater, there was a thought that occurred to me and all of a sudden, all my fear and anxiety was completely wiped away in a moment. Do you know what I remembered in that moment? 
this is a Batman movie. And every Batman movie always ends the same way. This is how it ends every single time. Batman, he defeats the villain. He goes and beats him up, right? He saves the city, and then he rides away on some cool bat vehicle into the night. That's how the story ends. That's how the story always ends. See, if you're a believer in Jesus, you know how your story ends. No matter how difficult your life gets, no matter how much you have to face You can have joy in the midst of it because in the end, Jesus wins. God is going to use all the pain, all the suffering, all the hardship, and one day you're going to be sitting in heaven with God and you're going to see how God redeemed every single bit of it. You see, if you're in here today, you can know as a believer in Jesus that no matter what happens in life, no matter how difficult your life gets, as a believer in Jesus, you can have joy because every situation is a win-win situation as a believer in Jesus. But maybe you're in here today and you're thinking, I'm not sure if I have that relationship with Christ. I'm not sure if I know him as my Lord and Savior like Paul does. And so when my story ends, I'm not really sure it's going to end in the way I'm looking for. If that's you in here today, I would love to invite you to just come and talk with me. After the service, I'm going to be standing off to the right side of the stage, and I would love to have a discussion about how you can trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior so that you can know one day that you're going to spend eternity in heaven with God in a place that is so much better than anything else we could ever imagine. But for those of you who are in here today who have a relationship with Jesus, my challenge for you this morning is to choose joy. Keep your eyes on the glory of Jesus. And remember that in every situation, it is a win-win situation as a believer in Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so blessed to be in your house today. We thank you for your word, for the perspective that you've shown us. We thank you, God, that you loved us so much that you were willing to send Jesus to die on that cross so that we could have victory in the end, so that no matter what happens in life, we can know the end of our story, that you are going to ultimately have the victory in the end. Father God, I ask that you would help us today to choose joy. Help us to keep our eyes on your glory. And remember, no matter what happens, you are the victor in the end. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.